Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the exciting words that we've been able to sing. Thank You for that day that we'll be here. Thank You that we get to study it together now and let it permeate into our very beings and understand the great things that You have for us. Thank You for being a great God and thank You for constantly letting us know more about You through Your Word. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be looking at eight verses this morning that have to do with a new heaven and a new earth. And I guarantee this will be exciting this morning if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not, it can still be a little scary. But Revelation chapter 21, in just a few moments I'll read those verses, but I want to catch us up a little bit on the context of where we are coming into chapter 21. And I'd like to start out by saying congratulations. You've made it. You've been through the worst of the book of Revelation now, except for tonight. If you come back tonight, we're still catching up in chapter 17 and 18. But from now on, except for one verse today, it's going to be smooth sailing. You've been very patient. It hasn't always been pleasant, those of you that have been with us as we've gone through the book of Revelation. In fact, I liken it to this. You've dutifully eaten a dinner that had a lot of vegetables in it, (laughs) a dinner that was very healthy for you. And you've done it, and it's good for all of us to do that. But now it's time for dessert. (laughs) This is when it gets really, really sweet in the study of the book of Revelation. And I trust everybody will be encouraged and comforted in this. If you're studying the book of Revelation, you know that it can be chapter after chapter after chapter of things that are are really horrific. And now it's time for dessert. Here's how one writer put it. From the smoke and pain and heat of the preceding scenes, it is a relief to pass into the clear, clean atmosphere of the eternal morning where the breath of heaven is sweet and the vast city of God sparkles like a diamond in the radiance of His presence. Do you like to check off items in your to-do list? I love to do that. I love lists, and I love to be able to check them off. So let's check off some of the following items. The church age. That's come and gone by this time. Lasted from Pentecost to when Jesus comes back for His bride, the church. The letters to the seven churches have pointed out strengths and weaknesses of the churches at that time and also the trends of church history as well, basically the way we as Christians and Christian churches have reacted. But the church age has come and gone by this time. The rapture has taken place by the time we get to Revelation 21. The Lord Jesus came and took all to be with him. The seven-year tribulation has occurred where seven seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments have been vividly and graphically portrayed. Satan was bound. We saw peaceful conquest and famine, inflation, plague, martyrs, earthquakes, conquest of all kinds, signs in the skies. The Antichrist has come and gone. The false prophet, the same. We've seen 144,000 faithful witnesses. We've seen hail, bloody water, 
locusts with stings like scorpions, indestructible witnesses, two of them, a red dragon representing Satan, the fall of Babylon, and all sorts of things have happened. But that's all over. The tribulation is now behind us when we turn to Revelation 21. The return of Christ to the earth, not to meet us in the air, but this is after the seven-year tribulation period. He returned with his saints. That's also taken place. The millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth has taken place by this time as well. Satan, who had been bound, is now loosed from his imprisonment following the thousand years. That has taken place as well. Satan had collected a multitude of malcontents to war against the King of kings and Lord of lords. They're now all destroyed. Satan also has been thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, and he'll be tormented forever and ever in that lake of fire. And the great white throne judgment has taken place. Death and hell and everyone whose name wasn't in the book of life have been assigned their just destiny of eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. So if you're in the habit of checking things off, check all of those off. They've already taken place in our study of Revelation. And now we ask a question, what's left? And what's left, let's read about. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. Apostle John writing, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I like that expression, passed away. We use that when somebody has died, and it's used uh, quite a few times in in what happens at the end. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What's left? God has saved the best for last. Key word that we saw in the reading just now was the word new. So let's look at the repetition of newness that is here before us. Four new places, four new things for us to look forward to. First of all, a new heaven and a new earth. Newer isn't always better. Would you agree with me? 
Some people would say that it's always better, but newer is not always better. But in this case, it is. There are at least two Greek words for new. One of them refers to new in time or new in sequence, like a new year or like a new car. But the word used here is different. It's kainos. It means new in quality. It means fresh. It means better. The new heaven and the new earth will not merely follow the present universe in chronological order, but they will be something that is brand new, fresh, better, never seen before. Here, newer is definitely better. What happened to the old heaven and the old earth? Well, it passed away, it says, but in Revelation 21.1 that we read, uses the expression passed away. Most of the translations use that same expression. A couple of them say disappeared, but they're gone. The old heaven and the old earth, that's what happened to them. So Revelation 21.1 tells us that. Psalm 102, verses 25 and 26 tell us this in, in good detail. Here's what it says. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. A couple of great expressions. What's going to happen to the old heaven and the old earth? They're going to pass away again. As I mentioned, that's going to be several times. Wear out like a garment. Anybody here throw any clothes out this week? Anybody here? A lot of people. Okay, that, that's what's going to happen. They're going to wear out and they're going to be tossed. They're going to be thrown away. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will, here it is again, pass away. But this time they'll pass away with the roar, it says. Where's the roar coming from, if we keep reading? And the heavenly bodies will be burned up. You know, that roar with the conflagration that is going on. Burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Jesus said in Luke 21, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Let me ask you this question. Do you think we'll miss the old heaven and the old earth? If God has something for us that's newer and better, we're not going to miss it. In fact, here's what it says in Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. All the old things, all of the sorrowful things, all the hurtful things, they're gone forever. Reminds me of the scripture that says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it ever entered into the mind of anyone the things that God has for those prepared for, who love him, that God has prepared for those who love him. So we're not going to miss the old heaven and the old earth at all. Why will heaven and earth be destroyed? Why not just be renovated? Why not just be changed a little bit? Well, Isaiah chapter 24, verse 5 says, The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they've transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. So why will heaven and earth be destroyed because they are impure. They are defiled. And you know who did that? We did. 
we did that and our forefathers did and we really messed up this earth and it is corrupt and it is evil it's going to be destroyed because god wants everything to be new and that's something great to look forward to when it talks in terms of new heaven new earth the heavens being destroyed understand that there are three heavens that are mentioned in the scripture one is the atmospheric heaven immediately surrounding the earth it's where the birds fly it's roughly about 20 miles up but then the planetary or stellar heavens are another one that and and where they are that's where the sun and the moon and the stars reside the third heaven or the heaven of heavens is the place where god lives and the spirits of the saints go at death I'm sorry for those of you romantics. The Bible says nothing of seventh heaven. It's, it's not there. There are only three. The heavens that pass away is number one and number two. And we'll see a little bit later on that that third heaven uh, may be the new Jerusalem as it, as it comes down out of heaven. And we'll see that in a few moments. People used to make fun of the idea that the earth will one day be destroyed by fire. It's a, how could that, how could the whole earth be destroyed by fire, especially when it's three quarters water? How's, how's that going to happen? But now, when we live in the threat of nuclear bombardment, and um, certainly that rises its head higher sometimes than others. This is one of those times when it's rising higher. When we think about accidental combustion or terrorist-induced conflagrations, no one's really laughing anymore about those who've teach that the earth one day will be destroyed by fire. For those of you that can see the screen, I have a picture of the structure of the earth right now, and you can see the inner core and then the outer core, um, that's in the center, and then outside you can see the crust and other things. Uh, You can look at that as I describe this. We live on the outer crust of a planet that is 25,000 miles in circumference and 8,000 miles in diameter. The heart of this globe is molten heat. Inside there is a seething, boiling, liquid lake of fire. When these elements get too near the surface and pressure builds up, a piece of crust is blown off. Our Earth, in other words, is a giant time bomb. And it doesn't seem to worry anyone at all. But if you understand that every once in a while there's an eruption, if God, God doesn't even need that, but oftentimes he will use what's already in existence. It could happen at any point in time, and especially when God tells it to, it will. What does it mean that there was no longer any sea? Three quarters of our globe, as I mentioned, is sea. Why no more sea? Several possible meanings, we're not told. But in ancient times, the sea was a foreboding and frightening place. People believed in sea monsters, but now there's no more sea, no more fear. It was also a barrier. It was a divider, separated people. There's not going to be any separation of any kind, and that could be what's in mind here. The sea also is the place from which the Antichrist emerged. It pictures evil. And that's gone. So any, any of those or a combination of those could be what is meant here by no longer any sea. Something else new. A new Jerusalem, the holy city, it's referred to in verse 2. This is not the old Jerusalem that we know after an extensive renovation. 
This is not even the millennial Jerusalem. It's a new Jerusalem, the capital city of the new heaven. It'll be described in greater detail when we look at verses later in the chapter, but that'll be for another time. But notice the Bible doesn't tell us here that the new Jerusalem is created at this point. It says that it was coming down out of heaven from God. The implication is that it already existed, and now it's coming down. Part of that implication can be seen in Hebrews chapter 12. And if you'd like to turn there and follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You can see the um, possibility of Jerusalem existing prior to it, but now here it comes. One commentator states that all of heaven is currently contained in the new Jerusalem. That's where believers go right now. It's the place Jesus went to prepare. And you'll notice that the city is pictured as a bride because the bride of Christ is there. At that time, all true believers will be there as well as the church. There's a new order. And my prayer has been that this would be a comforting thought to each one who is here because everybody is dealing with some of the things here and those things are going to pass away. They'll be gone. They're going to die. That new order. Notice the loud voice from heaven. As you look at the beginning of verse 3, that loud voice wanted to be sure everybody understood this. This is, by the way, the last of 21 times that a great or loud voice speaks in Revelation. This is the last of 21 times, but it certainly is significant. God has always wanted to live with his people and have fellowship with them. It's finally happening. But think of the things that God has done in the past to bring this about. The Garden of Eden. God wanted fellowship with Adam and Eve and had fellowship, and they walked in the garden, but then the fall spoiled things. The tabernacle. God set it up for his people, a place where he would tabernacle with them. He would come down. He would, he would meet with them. Same thing with the temple. And then God, trying to establish fellowship, did it in a big-time way in John chapter 114, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Interesting that the word dwelling that is used here before us is from the Greek word skene. It's the same word that is used in John 1.14, same word that is used here in verse 3. God loves us and wants us to be a part of Him, and He wants to be a part of us. And now, according to what it says in verse 3, this loud voice says, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And there will be no sin involved. There will be no more separation. There will be no lack of fellowship. Everything is going to be 
perfect in that way and actually in every way. Everything will be the way it should be. No one is ever going to mess it up again. And then it goes on to say he will wipe every tear from their eyes. People often ask, where did those tears come from? I mean, after all, uh, this is supposed to be a heavenly scene. Here's, here's a sampling of a couple commentators. One says, that does not mean that people who arrive in heaven will be crying <clears throat> and God will comfort them. They will not, as some imagine, be weeping as they face the record of their sins. There is no such record because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if anybody has the idea he's going to wipe away all tears is because he just really blasted us for all of our sins and now says, now you can come into heaven and I'll wipe away your tears. Not the case. You know the verse that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sins were taken care of at the cross, past, present, and future. Jesus paid the penalty for all of them. That great white throne judgment is not for believers. It is for those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another commentator says this, the expression... God will wipe away every tear from their eyes does not mean that there will be tears in heaven. It is a poetic way of saying that there will not be no tears in heaven. What it declares is the absence of anything to be sorry about. No sadness, no disappointment, no pain. They've all passed away. They've all died. Somebody has put it this way. All sorrow will be gone. All the sorrow of misfortune. All the tears of lacking. All the tears of loneliness. All the tears of bereavement. All the tears of anxiety. All the tears of inferiority. All the tears of rejection. All the tears of lost love. All the tears of guilt all the tears of shame, and I might add, and any other tears of anything. All gone, forever, passed away, died. The bottom line in verse 5 is that the old order of things has passed away. Everything will be new. Look at me again, with me again at verse 4, because I want to be sure that this is impressed on everybody's mind. If anybody's asleep next to you, a judicious little elbow in the ribs. You need to hear this verse. He will wipe away every, notice that, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Some of you are grieving right now the loss of a loved one. And it doesn't have to have been recent, but you're grieving that loss. No more of that. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Last week I asked how many people were sitting here in pain. Let me ask it again this week. How many of you are sitting here in pain if you move a certain way or you do a certain... How many of you are in pain? Put your hand up high. Be proud of it. You're a trooper. You're a soldier. Okay, no more. And you don't have to take any pills or get any injections or have any surgeries for that pain to be no more. That's because all things are going to be new. Verse 5 comes with a guarantee. 
Verse 5 says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Here's the guarantee. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Write it down. You can take it to the bank. I said this. God himself. Something else with regard to new and old. An old, old story with a new life. Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, offers a free gift. That free gift is of the water of life. Notice verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. He's talking about eternal life. It doesn't cost us anything because it cost Jesus everything. He offers it to those who are thirsty, those who realize that they need it desperately. So if you're seeking God right now and you know that you don't have a relationship with him, he offers you that gift of eternal life. And the waters often picture that. In Isaiah chapter 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And again, it's free. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's the picture of coming to the Lord Jesus for that living water. John chapter 4, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give him, it goes on to say, water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He offers it to the one who conquers. You'll notice verse 7. It's the Greek word nikeo. We get Nike from that. It means winner, victor, conqueror, as it's used in the New Testament. So the one who conquers is the one who will become his heir and will inherit all this before us. God promises to be his or her God, and the conqueror will be his son or daughter. What a great thing that is here before us. The one who conquers will have this heritage. Well, then we need to ask the question, who's the conqueror? Who's the one that conquers? Does it have to be somebody who is able to show great victories, maybe, uh, maybe in witnessing, bringing a lot of people to the Lord, or being able to overcome some habits or, or do other things along that? Who's, who is this conqueror? Very simply, this is the same John, and John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes. The overcomer is the same as the conqueror. It's the same Greek word, nikao. For, who, every, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has, and here it is again, for the word for conqueror again, that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is a, a very nice way, a poetic way of saying that the reward that is mentioned here is for everyone who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to me, he says. I'm going to give it to you free. It's eternal life. What you need to do to get it is to receive the gift that Jesus offers, that gift of salvation. That's who the conqueror is. There is a little bit of a um, dark side coming in verse 8. 
I said there wouldn't be much, but there is one verse in verse 8. And it mentions in particular some are not going to make it. Some aren't going to be in the new heaven, the new earth. They're not going to be with the Lord Jesus for all of eternity. Now, who are they? There's a list here. It starts out by talking about the cowardly. Those who would not confess Christ because of the fear of human beings. The unbelieving, the vile, murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice the magic arts, idolaters, all liars, it mentions. Those whose lives are characterized by such things give evidence that they're not saved and will never enter the heavenly city. Please listen carefully. If you see on that list something that you've done recently, that does not mean you can't go to heaven. All liars, it says, well, I've lied this week, some of you are thinking. It is the habit. It is, if that's who you are, that you are a liar, that you are not confessing your sins to the Lord. If that's your state of being, if that's your settled habit, who you really are. It's not if occasionally you will sin and you will do something that might be in this list or any other list. It's talking about those whose bent happens to be in a certain direction. And that's who they are apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying basically is that there are some who are not going to make it, and the ones who are not going to make it are going to be exactly the opposite of the ones who do. The ones who don't make it are those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ because behavior such as this indicates that they've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, eternal hell. That is the second death according to the Scriptures. We saw this once before. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. I, I don't mind repeating it. If you're only born once, if all you ever are is born physically, you're going to die twice. You'll die physically, but you'll also experience the second death, which is eternal separation from God in hell for all of eternity. All of us need to be born twice. Once physically, we're halfway there. And secondly, we need to be born again. Born anew. Born of the Spirit of God. Receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. If we do that, we only die once. And that's physically. We do not have that second death because we will be with God for all of eternity in that new heaven and the new earth. So born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Do you know it can be new for you this morning? We've been looking at the word new a lot. It can be new for you. It can be brand new. I love the way it's put in 2 Corinthians 5:17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have a lot of new things to look forward to, but... To do that, we have to be a new creation. We have to recognize that our old life needs to go as we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus if we've never done that. A little girl was taking an evening walk with her father. Wonderingly, she looked up at the stars and she exclaimed, Oh, Daddy, if the wrong side of heaven is so beautiful, what must the right side be? Now think about that for a moment. It's going to be newer 
and it's going to be better. And it's something that all the children of God that are here this morning can look forward to. The old things that were here that aren't going to be there any longer are never going to be missed. We've got a great, great future. Sometimes people are very pessimistic about the future. The future of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely fantastic. Let's pray and thank the Lord for that. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for making all of us who've received the Lord Jesus Christ the recipients of your gracious gift of salvation in the here and now and for all of eternity. And my prayer is that if there are any who are here this morning who are not new creations, who haven't been born anew by your Spirit, who haven't been born again, that they would in the quietness of their own hearts and minds right now reach out to the Lord Jesus and say I know you offer me that gift of salvation I know who you are I know that you're the son of God and I know that I'm a sinner I can't save myself so I invite you to be my personal savior to enter my life I surrender to you I pray that there would be those among us who would do that if they don't know Jesus now and for the rest of us I thank you for the time that we're able to celebrate right now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.